This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. I'm so honored to introduce you to my next guest. She is a true legend. Her career as a performer, choreographer, and innovator spans more than 60 years. She has been awarded the Flaubert Award, the Tapestry Award, the Tap City Hall of Fame Award, the Dance Magazine, and the prestigious Bessie Award, all for outstanding achievement and contributions to the field of tap dance. A true visionary, she is known for her collaborations with her partner and mentor, the great Charles Honey Coles, and her many performances with, among others, Gregory Hines, the Nicholas Brothers, and many more giants of tap dance. She is founder of the award-winning American Tap Dance Orchestra, and her own experimental work with taps, electronics, and poetry has influenced generations of tap artists and will continue to inspire tap artists to come. She is a published author, poet, and ceramist, and a revered educator and master teacher, and I am thrilled to say she is here with me today. It is with absolute delight that I introduce you all to the one and only Brenda Buffalino. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you. Well, with that introduction, you know that I've lived a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. Such wisdom in the room. Listen, I I read that you create in a barn in the Shawagunk Mountains. Is that where you are calling in from today? I am calling from the Shawangunks. I am not in the barn at the moment. I moved down into the village of New Pulse for the winter because it gets pretty icy up there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? I was up for two years during the pandemic. And then finally I said, I think I'll spend the winter down in the valley where I can walk more. But I, I will go, I go up every two, two or three days, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Can you paint a picture for us of, of what the rhythm of your days are like in this moment? Well, you know, with the pandemic and the isolation, there are certain things that really helped me quite a bit. I, I say that um, we stole my tap shoes. It, it was like I, I didn't uh, want to tap dance, which was very, very strange. That is not the case anymore. But what happened um, was finally, and uh, I could uh, learn Tai Chi over Zoom. Mm. And I have tried for so many years to to learn Tai Chi, and my metabolism just wouldn't take it because it's so slow. So that is how I start my day, and more often than not, after that, a meditation. And then I try to get outside, you know, it's, I feel like it's so important to be out. So then it, then it's free form. Then it's free form. Uh, I paint. Sometimes I'll do a painting. I'll do, I'll practice calligraphy. Hmm. I'll write a poem. I'm working on a few essays. Um, and, um, and then it's uh, however I want the day to take me, more or less. 
if I'm in the barn and can get there, which I really want, I will practice for quite a while. That's kind of how it is. I'm working on two books at the moment, two new books, and it's it's an unusual time for me. Usually when I start a project, I finish it. Hmm. But now I have a lot of essays, a lot of, I'm working on the new novella, which is a sequel to the last one, which is a song of the split elm. And I can't, uh, it's, it's hard for me because I need to get to Lynn, Massachusetts. That's where it takes place. So when I'm, when I'm writing, the, the place is as much a character as, as the characters. Yeah. And I'm writing from the, uh, from the turn of the century and the shoe factories of Lynn Mass. Mm. That's where my families went. It's a biographical saga, much of which I make up because I only have so much information. So... I try to work around that as much as I can with character development and putting myself in it because it is three generations. And the other book is um, it's a book on composition, app mm. composition. Very cool. So because everybody now is improvising, we have tremendous amount of great improvisers. But in terms, I feel that comp- composition and choreography is kind of the weak point at the moment. Mm. Mm. So uh, after having probably choreographed about 150 works, both my solos and the company, you know, the ATDO, I thought I would take apart my pieces and talk about how they were constructed. Very cool. Um, because that still interests me. I'm still finding out. As, yeah. as you probably do right you, you look at your work say oh oh now I understand what I do right <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah no 100 it's so fascinating if, if it's okay with you um you were talking about um your sequel to your to your book to your to your fictional book based on biography points that you know and then filling in the blanks right if I understood correctly about yes. your history yeah and what I think is so fascinating about what you're doing is is you're recreating and discovering your past that wasn't lived or that, that like the missing pieces. It's, it's a fascinating space to work in, I bet. Well, it is because I, I only have two or three points. Mm. I come from a New England family. They didn't talk about themselves. Yeah. You know, there, there's something about old Baptists, New Englanders. <laughs> if they talk about themselves, they think it's a sin. But I do know enough, and I know, and what I don't know makes me so curious. Yeah, like that. Like, why did my grandmother um, insist on raising two generations of female artists? Why did mm-hmm. she do that? This was not an accident. This was she insisted on this. Interesting, and that's why. You know, that that was the thing that started the process. Yeah. And then discovering that she was an orphan. Huh. And I couldn't find her mother anywhere. Interesting. And also the Blackfoot, the Native American, which was 
pretty held secret for a long time that there was any of that, was also, all right, so that's a research project. So there was all this research. Yeah. Where was this grandmother, this great-grandmother? Where was she? It's traveled many, many places. And to create, I feel like I gave this grandmother a life. Mm. Absolutely. I gave her a life. Yeah, that's what stands out to me. It's it's such a beautiful and exciting thing. I get you light up when you talk about it. Yeah, it's it's still very much uh, very much interests me. So fortunate as an artist, many many artists are told when they're young, um, "Oh, it's so wonderful! You're so creative! This is great!" And then you become of age, and well, now you're not supposed to do that anymore. Now you're supposed to get down to business. Right, learn how to take care of yourself and do something practical. But I didn't have any of that. Did you not have that given to you, or did you just not receive any of that? No, it was not given at all. Nice. My mother, my mother was a um, lyric soprano mm. and an elocutionist. She was a dramatic reader. My aunt was the coloratura and the concert pianist, and I was the ingenue in the act. Okay. Interesting. And my grandmother, who was the (laughs) producer and the charge behind it all. Mm. So we had a wonderful, uh, wonderful concert that we performed, many concerts that were uh, kind of... um, very Victorian. Mm. Mm. How old were you then? I think I, st- I started performing with them around seven or eight. Wow. And did, were you interested? Like, did, did you, you know, did they sort of say, come on, Brenda, you're going to join us? And it was just part of the fabric of life. Or were you interested? And what was that? I danced every day from mm. the time I was six. So... Uh, and every Sunday at our home was music and dance. Yeah. So it it just morphed. Mm. I made a little money, <laughs> which I <Very> like. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't like, and it, it affected me as a performer for many years, was. Um, uh, my mother was always late. Mm. My grandmother was always yelling, hurry up. My costumes were never finished. The, the safety pins were always sticking in my back. <laughs> my shoelaces laces would always come untied because we were always late. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never knew why I had such anxiety performing because I've been a performer all my life, until the act was recreated at the Boston Conservatory when I was in my 40s. Mm. And then it all happened again. Interesting. And then I said, oh, this is where that anxiety comes from. Yeah. Not mine. It's not mine. 
if I'm ready and prepared, I don't have to worry. Yeah. 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 It was too bad I had to do it again to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, although, I mean, what a great discovery, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It changed everything for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, You know, it really made the rest of my life uh, as as an artist, as a performing artist, not a creative artist, because it didn't affect that part at all. Hmm. You know, because I was free. I was never I was always encouraged to be my wild, crazy self. So that was free. The creative part was totally free. It was the performing part. Yep. Getting to the gig. (laughs) (laughs) Until you discovered what that was, how did it show up in other parts of your life, if at all? Oh, I'm always early. Always. I do not like to be late. (laughs) And I don't like other people to be late. And that was something with Honey, too. You know, working with Honey Coles. He he was like that as well. Mm. Was very professional, very prompt, and even had a better disposition being a performer than I did. Much better disposition. What do you mean by that? He was very patient. I'm very impatient. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think that is? Why do I think he was patient? No, why do you think you are impatient? Well, it's just been part of my character for as long as I remember. Uh-huh. And, and I, um, I've had to work on myself very hard over the years, and I have, to slow down my reaction to things. I react very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And I can remember as being a child, if I colored outside the lines, I'd break all the crayons. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I get so mad, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so I've I've really worked on that because uh, as a choreographer and as as a a gatherer of persons, as a teacher, and I've had I've had um, many spaces that I've created in environments that did not serve me. Mm. But people did, they always know where I stand. Yeah. You know, they know they can trust me because I will not be false. <laughs> mm. but yes, I've had, I, I, I think I, the Italian streak is strong in me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the impatience thing is like a tempo thing? Is that people are not keeping up with you? I think a lot of it is, yes. Yeah. Did working with Honey Coles help you learn patience? Well, he didn't let me talk anyway. Right. It was a more of a mentor relationship. What, what would you say? It was ma- a masculine thing. Oh, okay. I mean, half of our show, because he really did not know how to talk to musicians. He'd tell the band to lay out. Now, I could have, I could have told them what to do. But he was the boss. Oh. Yeah, that's, re- that's really interesting. All the years of taking a chance on love with our soft shoe, yeah. band could never play it slow enough. Mm. 
And I discovered that if we, because I do it solo, if I tell the band to play it in 12-8 instead of 4-4, they can do it. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's how he feels it. Yeah. You know, how he felt it. Mm. That. Yep. That's, that's, that's really insightful of you. And it's really, it connects to what you're doing with your writing too. Like the fact that you're able to sort of, you know, take tools, knowledge, instinct, to put them all together to communicate. Yeah. 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 And I, I love that process. Yeah. I can see that. That's beautiful. I like, I love analyzing. Mm-hmm. And yet when I choreograph, I purposely a great deal of the time not want to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'll find out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. There it is again, though, right? It's a real balance between like letting the muse live yeah. and then letting the pragmatic side come back later and maybe sort of. Yeah, playing. That, that's, that's great that you're saying that because it is, it's like a chord. It's like a chord. Yeah. I would always talk to the orchestra about equilibrating the vibrations. Mm-hmm. How do we take this dancer has this quality, this one has this, right? Yeah. So then we work like this. Nobody becomes, has to change who they are. They just have to equilibrate. Yes. So there's always this balancing act. Yeah. But that's energy. And that's, that's the beautiful, that's the essence, isn't it? Yeah. And also uh, that work on a chord, striking a chord rather than one note. Yeah. So by working on all this, these elements and even the elements in yourself, you're striking a chord. Yeah. And so then you have counterpoint which so much of my work is based on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And juxtaposition and perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I knew, I I knew we'd have fun. (laughs) You're talking my language. Yeah, no, that that's beautiful. Go on if you'd like. (laughs) Well, that, that's, that's how I play with my days, Mm. you know, and then, but then, they, then there's this other issue, this side issue that I'm still studying of spontaneity, mm. of none of that <laughs> in in the in the creation moment, none of that. But all the work has been done at other times so that when the creation moment comes, it's all there. It doesn't have to be thought about. Mm. So you're saying that spontaneity isn't, you're redefining spontaneity. You're saying spontaneity is not what you see happening when you're seeing creativity happening, that it's a a sum of, of the parts of all the things that came before. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's what you have gathered mm-hmm. in yourself. Yeah. 
um, as as who you are. Mm-hmm. And so that that when you're in the act of creating, you don't have to think about is this right? Is this wrong? Is this? Am I balancing this? Am I balancing that? You just do it. Yeah. I mean, that's what practice is about. And and the practice of seeing, the practice of seeing how things work. Of seeing, like, for instance, today, I have this amazing view, and it's, of course, is a snow. So being able to see the cross-country skier across the river, and the mountain, and the branch that's broken, and the car that's going by. The the practice of seeing of a lifetime, you've already made a painting. Yeah. You've already made a piece of choreography. But the The practice is not only with your feet or with your hands. The practice is with yourself. So that when you create, I mean, I I was always spontaneous, but what I created was fairly raw. Mm -hmm. What I create now is is not as raw but I, I hope it still has the act of becoming of first thought. But it's about seeing for me now. And, and it probably has something to do with age. Mm. Or enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, really. I mean, yes, age, age, but not everybody your age sees things that way. In fact, everybody, I would wager that the majority of people your age are pretty stuck in their ways. Are going blind. I mean, not literally, but internally. Well, isn't that a choice? Mm-hmm. Those are those are choices that we keep making along the way. Yep. Oh yeah. No, one hundred percent. You know what? I've read something uh, that you wrote on your blog um, that that really moved me, and I wondered if I might share it. Sure, of course. So it was. Um, September 3rd, 2020, so just just a couple of years ago, uh, just four days before your 84th birthday. Uh-huh. And you wrote, ennui mixed with the silence that is provoking the muse stares out in space at the sparse but spirit-filled garden absorbing the sun on my rocky knoll. I promised that today I would put on my tap shoes. I will after I have fixed my gaze on the bees buzzing the flowers of my oregano plant. Talk to me. First of all, that's so beautiful, so evocative, and it really, truly moved me. So thank you for that. Talk to me about that space between boredom and inspiration and what it means to you. Well, I don't think ennui is boredom. To, to me, um, we, it's like a lassitude. Somehow you haven't been feeding yourself and you forgot to be hungry. Nice. 
So you're weak. So weakness. Boredom is essential for an artist. That's essential to allow for that, to catch yourself from constant entertainment. Yeah. You know, because if you don't, nothing arises. Mm. So I guess I think of boredom in, in Buddhist terms of emptiness. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you know uh, the, uh, the, the, the practice where emptiness is form, form is emptiness. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nothing but form. Yep. And I remember the first time I heard that, I said, oh, that's frightening. It gives me claustrophobia. Mm. And now I realize that's everything. Yeah. That's where things begin. That's where new things begin, a new impetus, a new charge. Yeah. Or nothing. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And that that's, I have to say, that I have worked not being terrified of nothing. I've had to work at that. Yeah. Well, in that little passage I read, I feel like you've really captured in writing, you've captured that that moment where you are the participant and the observer. You're in two places at once. And by by being there, you also you created a third place and now a fourth because here we are, and, and so on and so on and so on. So it's creation in itself. So I just want to thank you for that. I mean, I I, I learned a lot about you just from reading that. Well, I'm so glad you read it because I just was transported to that moment. You know, I mean, that's what, that's, that's the food. That's the food. The impressions, being able to absorb the impressions Mm. and seeing them, that's the food. Hey, what is, what is your definition of living in the moment? Well, I guess, um, just as we're talking about a seeing detail, what knocks me back into my seat is opening it up, mm. feeling the ex- expansiveness that anything is possible. And actually, I've always been a bit of a prognosticator, a, f- a futurist. You know, I mean, like when I decided that tap dance definitely was time to return. And I said to my mother, I'm going to specialize in tap dance. And she said, for who? (laughs) Who do you plan to do it for? (laughs) (laughs) But that, once I can hit that, so it really requires clearing out. Mm-hmm. clearing out and a lot of times it takes a lot of conversation with myself or really reading the right material and getting away from chatter and and it's like opening the curtain 
It's like an opening the curtain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I play on my, con- my concertina is my greatest, my greatest practice of the moment. I play, it's a classical instrument, mine. I got a new one during the pandemic and it has been my savior. Because I, I will practice, like you asked what I do with my days, I probably practice close to two hours a day. Wow. And attention, that attention, really, the, the use of attention opens up the space. It's a scattered mind that is not present. Yeah. So there are some things, if I, if I tap this, mm-hmm. the attention to sensation in my body as I'm doing it, mm-hmm. fighting against always trying to get better. You know, it's a lot of obstacles to it. I always start out, I always start out noodling. I put on my shoes. I just noodle and, and wait to discover myself. You know, I just noodle and noodle and noodle. And, and all of a sudden, I start to be there. Right? And then the switch happens. So it is like you say, there is process. There is process. Yeah. I, first, generally, I start from an open mind. I'll, I'll have ideas. I'll have ideas. But when, when I start to actually go forward with those ideas, there's a process of just allowing, just allowing, allowing and then finding. And then the attention gets gathered almost by itself. I don't have to do it. But I know what I want. You know, when we start, we know what we're hoping for. You know, we spend so much time trying to learn the stuff, trying to master the stuff that, that now I feel like the stuff is starting to teach me what mastery really is. That, that is really true. That is really true. I, I, yeah, that's a very well said, very well said. My last dance class was when I was 17. You know, um, I, I did not learn tap dance by taking a lot of classes that was not possible when I came up. I learned it as a kid. You know, I learned my shuffle ball chains, my off to the buffalo. I learned well, but I didn't learn to the art of tap dance that mm-hmm. I had to discover. Yeah. And it was hours and hours and hours and hours to and hurting myself to find out what what I needed to do to get it. And that's the basis of my technique that is still today Yeah, that I teach. But in terms of the creative process, and I find it so tricky. Like I have a, a, a few mentor mentees, one very young man, he's so talented. I worry about giving him too much information. Mm-hmm. I also want him to find the answers himself because that's where his voice will come. His voice is not going to come through what I say or what somebody else says or dancing for other dancers. 
then everybody ends up dancing the same. So it's, it's so tricky. It's so tricky being a teacher. And, you know, as we have done this for so long, we know so much. But how much should I? Maybe those secrets the dancers kept were because they didn't want us to follow them. They wanted us to find ourselves. Mm. Honey never told me anything, nothing. That was probably the biggest gift he gave me. Yeah. So it's, whoa. It's a, I, I don't, I don't want us to, to put water on the fire. I love being a mentor. I love it. And I love watching how, how dancers, how the dancers are working and what they're doing. But I'm very sensitive to, especially with young people, because they get too sophisticated too early. Yep. I hear you. What I know, what I know is the sophistication and the artistry. Yeah. How much of that should they know? How much of that should they do? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. If you could tell little Brenda, just starting out, something that you know now that you would have liked to to have heard then, what what might you be telling her? <laughs> well, wow. maybe to be kinder to myself. She never wanted to listen to anything. She wouldn't have listened anyway. <laughs> that is so. That's. I'm going to have to think about that because. She was always such a, a renegade. And I appreciate that about her. But this doesn't mean you were bad. This was because that's what I always thought. If somebody criticized me, like if they didn't like the way I did a shuffle, that meant they hated me. Mm. It was always about me, but it wasn't. So I guess that's what I would say to her. But I've learned that, and I have talked to her about that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I've spent the last 30 years, at least 30 or 40 years now, talking to her about working with these irascible, wonderful characteristics that she has so that they can be functional in the world so it doesn't hurt other people. And doesn't hurt myself. Yeah. Did you, did you in your conversations with her ever talk, tell her what you just told me, which is that you really admired her for her fierceness? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I never criticized her for that. But how she did it was a problem. My impulse for it was rarely something to be admonished. It was how it came out. How do we express ourselves? How do we do it clearly? Mm. So that it doesn't attack, but can inform. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there was a time, I I have a very sarcastic wit. And I love it when somebody also has it. 
But I've learned that that's a lot of people get hurt by that. Mm. And I have I have said things in a classroom. Things have come out of my mouth that I cannot believe I said. And they're very clever, very clever, but they're mean. <laughs> uh, I feel terrible. Yeah. But that's my that's that's part of my creative process. Yeah. Comes out of my work on stage. That comes out of my monologues. Mm. You know? Mm. It comes out in my wit. Yep. It harkens back probably to, I bet, your your avant-garde stage. Yeah. You know, I had a, at least I had the character that was hoping enough people would leave. Yeah. You know, that would tell me how good I did. It's a, I guess it's kind of like impishness or it's wit. It's wit. And jazz is full of that. Mm. That's one of the things that I think that we're a little bit missing today is, is the wit. The nuance too, right? And nuance, you know, it's... When, when things are so crammed, packed like that, it's just like the noise in your head that you're talking about. It's just like there's no nuance. There's no, there's no room for, for growth at all because everything's so packed in. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that is something that I really I had that, and Honey had that. But as he aged, I was lucky that I did not know him in his heyday. By the time I met him, I was seventeen; he was in his fifties. So it was full and rich, and and. And it, it excited me and started me on the path. But what happens when I got back together with him after 15 years, 14, 15 years, I studied him. He didn't tell me anything, but I studied him really hard. And what I learned in terms of what you're talking about, how he set things up. Yeah. He set things up so people could hear what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I learned again about nothing. Leaving space, which we were talking about before. Yeah. For, the, for that moment. And I do, I am working on this as a mentor. I think that is something that could be useful for young people to hear. Part of the problem is because they're not dancing for audiences, enough audiences. There's not enough work. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate mm. when I, with my solo performances and with the companies. I had three companies before I really understood what I wanted with the orchestra. Yeah, I already had three companies. But, and I was performing all the time. I performed in nightclubs. I performed everywhere. So I got feedback from my audience. Yeah. Of, of what happens with the dancers, they're dancing for each other. They're getting feedback from each other. And they're not having a sense of the audience as their partner. So that was after, after being in the avant-garde and shooing everybody out of the space, I got a little sick of that, you know, and 
So I went all the way back. And my audience was kind of angry with me because I had a rather big audience for a lot of my avant-garde work. And it also was allowed me to do very creative work later. I mean, I'm so glad for it. But I wanted to remember what my mother had. My mother could make you cry when she recited The Three Little Kittens. Mm. She could bring you to tears because she was in love with her material and and in love with who she was giving it to. And, and that was honey. He loved his one chorus dances. And he loved sharing it. Yeah. And, and when I did my solo shows, because I did, I've done so many and all over Europe, I learned the audience is my collaborator. Yeah. We're in this together. All of a sudden, we're breathing together. They are being able to listen to what they would never normally be able to listen to it's like being a sorcerer really Brenda how how do you want to be remembered oh my gosh Mm. I don't really know I can't say I can't say that I mean I I, uh, I I just feel so incredibly fortunate to have been a performing artist who teaches. I've had relationships with people all over the world that are so deep because of teaching. Mm. So I don't know. I don't, I, I guess that's just up, up to people. I hope, I hope people will, I think my books in a way, my books, I got, tell you the truth. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I always wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a writer. It just happened that I danced. <laughs> so I don't know. I can't, I can't answer that. Whatever people want to do with me when I'm, when I'm gone, they can do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I really don't know. I really don't know. I hope I inspired people to be who they are. Yeah. You know, I really do. I really do. And I, one of the greatest things for my company members, as much as everyone was, did exactly what I was a dictator, they all have their own styles. They're dancing today and they all are different. Yeah. So somehow I managed to inspire them to be who they were at the same time as they had to be me. Mm. Mm. That's a great insight. So Very interesting. Maybe that, you know. Wow, I could I could speak with you all day long. <laughs> all day long. Um, okay. I'm gonna ask you a couple more things. I won't keep you all day long, even though I want to. Um oh, hey, can you finish this phrase? Most people think Brenda Buffalino is, but the truth is. Uh, most people think that Brenda Buffalo is really tough. She's really a fighter. She's really tough. But I'm really soft. <laughs> really, really soft. And guess that it comes out tough. 
<laughs> yeah. Really, so- very, very soft. Why do you think people think that? That's my, that's my reactive personality. Your personality is not always who you are. Mm. So, I mean, that was Brian Siebert hit it on the, you know, when he, when he said I was too expressive. <laughs> she smiles too much. Mm. My son is always telling me, quiet down. But that's energy. Yep. What am I going to do? And then I cry. Sometimes I cry when, when you know, I get this. I cry because that's like saying that my energy is bad. Mm. When that's something that is a force, that's a force that was able to do all these wonderful things that I've done in my life. Yeah. Tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say what makes you, I'm going to say a word, and then you can respond in whichever way you'd like. What makes you hungry? Fasting. Yeah. What makes you sad? Loss. What I've lost, people I've lost. So many people. I'm so old. But how wonderful to have had so many people that you cared so much about that you feel so deeply. Yeah. Oh, yes. Truly. Truly. Yeah. What, um, what inspires you? I mean, nature, trees inspire me. Water inspires me. Winds frightens me. So that inspires me. A blade of grass can inspire me. The oregano plant inspires me. Sati, the music of Sati, the music mm. of Gurdjieff inspires me. So music, art inspires me, painting, artists, you know, so many things. Mm. So many things, a great conversation. This, this inspires me. Our conversation inspires me. Mm. What, what frustrates you? What frustrates me is that the lack of desire for my fellow humans to explore reality. Yeah. To explore it, not to decide it, but to explore it. Yeah. What, uh, what makes you laugh? The absurd. I said to my son the other day, I'm, I'm trying to get myself together. He said, well, well you, when you find all the parts that are in the bucket, let me know. And I laugh for half an hour. Um, what makes you angry? Oh, I think probably injustice. Is, it's always been a, a, a big problem for me. Mm. I, I, uh, I have worked and, and gotten myself in a lot of trouble fighting injustices and generally against those who can't defend themselves. I get, I get ferocious and very active. Mm. And finally, what makes you grateful? Oh, God. I think what my teachers have taught me, and I'm, I'm including all of them, Sometimes I'll go through a list when I'm meditating. 
of my teachers. Mm. And, uh, and what they've taught me. And I'll just start to cry. I have such gratitude. Mm. Mm. And, and, and this life, I mean, I've, I've lived a magical, magical life. And the strength that I've had, that was given to me. I've still got legs that can dance. Yeah. I can't believe it. And that's from my ancestors. And that's one of the reasons why I write about them. Mm. I'm incredibly grateful for my lineage. Really grateful. They weren't easy. But what a lineage. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm incredible. Mm. What are the top three things that have happened so far today? Well, the first thing I wanted to go out and I couldn't because it's ice. So I got pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) I did many, many rounds of Tai Chi. Found out why the teacher wanted us to do at least an hour of Tai Chi because my legs got really tired from Tai Chi. That was great to to find that out. And this uh, conversation uh, was was lovely. Yeah, wonderful. What is something you're looking forward to? Well, I'm going to Boston to set Buff Loves Basie, restage Buff Loves Basie and Velma Goldberg's young, young company. Nice. I love to work. I love to work. And, and that the challenge right now for me is that I really shouldn't work all that much. It's my nervous system. It's not my body. It's my nervous system. It has a hard time with it. Mm. But I love working. I've been working since I was so little. I can't ever remember not working. Yeah. Do you know what's, you know what's so cool? Is that what came to mind when you said, I love my work and you smiled sort of impishly. It was great. I love that. You've come such a long way from the little Brenda who used to break the crayons when she colored out of the lines. Because <laughs> Brenda, you've been coloring out of the lines your whole life and look where you are today. And what I learned to do was love that co- coloring out of the lines. Exactly. And I study and in the middle of the art of imperfection. I understand now that's my love is imperfection. I love it. Brenda, it has been such a joy speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be in the moment. I would like to interview you. Well, to be continued. I mean, it's just been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. I've been speaking today with Brenda Buffalino. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. And remember to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.